0: Hi, dear listeners, this is Oshaya, your host. If you love our show, I have a favor to ask. Could you kindly leave us a review on iTunes and Apple Podcasts? Your reviews go a long way in helping us do better, and we read every single one of them. I thank all of you in advance for leaving those reviews. Enjoy. And I said, um, hey, bro, I have these
1: projects and, you know, I want us to work on it together. And he looked at it and said, OK, go, I can do this. It's very interesting. Um, this is how much I'm going to pay. And I said, hey, bros, I don't have she. I don't have money to give you. Let's be partners. We pretty much just
0: started catching away with nothing. It was just two of us. My told
1: me life is not
0: road. This is Origins Africa podcast where we explore the origin stories of people who have made and are making their dreams come true asking the what, the when, the how and the why. I'm Oshaye and on this episode, do Awujudu shares his origin story. 10 years of pushing, fighting and near give up moments before his dreams started to bear fruit in 2016. Olaulua is the co-founder and CEO of eSettlement Limited, one of the topmost agent banking platforms in Nigeria. On our very first episode with Abolare Salami as guest, Salami had talked about how he had been greatly influenced by his friend. Olaulua Awujudu in his entrepreneurship journey. In fact, at the end of the episode, Salami had specifically asked that we interview Olaulua next. We also got commentaries from some of you, our dear listeners, on how you'd like to hear Olaulua's origin story. We listened to you, and here we are. Olaulua's story speaks of resilience, persistence, and unstinting commitment to a dream that took a decade, 10 solid years to be efforts, fruits, 10 years of being alone on the journey and no one believing in his dream, even his parents had given up on him, 10 years of staying true to the curse, pushing and fighting one day at a time with nothing but the deep conviction that he had to succeed, before finally breaking through in 2016. It begs the question of how many of us would be that patient and persistent in the pursuit of our dreams. Today, Olaoluwa's company, eSettlement Limited, has become one of the topmost agent banking platforms in the country, processing about 3 billion naira transactions daily. Olaulua describes his childhood as decent, having grown up in a middle-class family. I guess it was decent. Um, Middle-income family, parents, civil servants. He attended a missionary primary school and went to a federal government secondary school and university. I went to public schools,
1: which, you know, right now, our kids can go to public schools. But even when I say public, so my primary school, as an example, was Catholic. At Ikeja, uh, Maryland. And then uh, so I went to a Catholic primary school and then I went to a federal secondary school and um, I went to federal university, you know, so more or less public schools, also. true. Um, but right now, I'm, I'm not sure that those schools are, you know, they, they are still maintaining the same standard for the the current generation, like my kids. I don't really see them going to those kind of schools, even though at that time, you know, it was it was pretty decent. So yeah, it was, it was really just an average decent um, <laughs> growing up experience. Primary school was very, very sweet. All my All my um all the primary school memories I had, I actually I I don't think there was any bad one. It was all good, all true. And um secondary school was you know life-changing, it was boring, you know, so you get to experience new things, you get to make friends. Um, some of those friends I keep to date, some not, but you know, it it was was pretty decent. And then, you know, sometimes you get to break some laws, get into trouble, get flogs every now and then. Um yeah, it was fine. And then um, university, of course, I I I finished from About Awolowo University. I read Computer Science and Engineering. Um, I wasn't really by then I already decided what I wanted to do in my life anyway. So I wasn't the most the most um the most serious guy in class, or so, like the guy that took his academics very seriously. <laughs> you know, that was so in the university? That was in university, correct, yes because by then I already started doing business and um, I already knew that, you know, I, I was going to, I wanted to start a big company and I wanted to, I was passionate about, you know, building a future outside of, you know, the, what they were teaching in school. Because let, let's be honest, share if you think well about, for instance, I was an engineering student and sometimes I think about some of those things that I learned in school. Take for instance, EYDX, if you ever did calculus, and, you know, today I, I run a technology company and I, I, I still wonder what are we, what were we supposed to use that stuff for? You know, what was the value <laughs> of learning how to do the YDX, you know, and, and so many other things like that, because I, I kind of figured out that to be successful in life, there are certain skills that you need, which I, I like to tell maybe like five things. So you need one, you need to be able to read, you need to be able to add subtract, divide, multiply, and most importantly, you need to be able to communicate effectively. Those are the core skills that are are required to be successful, you know, and even if you don't go to school, which has been proven so many times in developed countries like the US, a lot of the billionaires, they are always dropouts, you know, high school, nobody finishes university because you don't really need those skills to be successful. You know, and that's the, that's the truth. So, but because of my own environment, even though I felt like, oh, I'm going to be an entrepreneur, I'm going to start businesses, I'm going to do this and that. Because of the Nigerian environment, Nigeria, we don't drop out. Like, if you drop out, that is, um, is, is 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 um is, is like you've committed a great crime. You know, so we go to school over here, and we go to school like full time. abroad as well. people, go to school and work. Nigeria, we are supposed to go to school and go and cram. You know, so you're expected to be in school. So I I I went through the whole education the BSc, Bachelors, to just make sure that, you know, I have a degree. But even despite all that period of being a student, I was, you know, starting businesses and running businesses and
0: and getting experience. As a young boy, Olaoluwa had a dream to become the richest man in the world. And he quickly began reading about the world's richest men. I I was inspired a lot by by the stories of
1: rich people. And, um, you know, so what I used to do... You know, my early years, you know, when we had access to internet, I was always trying to read up on Forbes. Even before the internet, I had books about the richest man in the world. You know, and trying to read up on, on their stories. How did of, you get the books? Only it was I remember actually just one book in particular. Um, I don't know, my dad used to have a lot of books. I can't actually remember maybe it was a lot of my dad books. Um I can't remember, but you know, there was a book I read that had a lot of, you know, rich guys back then. It was really not I can't remember the name, but it was maybe like two pages each on this billionaire and that billionaire. And um, I was really interested by their stories, especially how did they actually make it, you know, which is why I also appreciate what you're doing, because especially in Nigeria, a lot of guys are rich. And as Nigerians, because of what our culture and what, you know, because of the way things are right now, people celebrate them, celebrate the fact that they are rich not even trying to understand how did they become rich, you know? So we find out a lot in Nigeria. Someone dead has broke today and then tomorrow he's like a multi, multi, millionaire, and all of a sudden we start eating him, hey, German, you know, and, you know, without even finding out what did he do? How did he move from zero, you know, to 100? And um, for, for me, I always tell people that are close to that, that. I'm never impressed by how rich you are. What I really want to find out is how did you make money? I know because another thing is that if you say this man is rich, and you say, what does he do? It doesn't really answer the question. Because once you are rich, you can do things. You can put the money somewhere, turn it around there, turn it around there to create more money. You know, so the story of what is the rich person doing is not as interesting as how did they become rich. Because how did they become rich is the story that makes all the difference. So, you know, and that's that why I also appreciate what you're doing as well. But you know, so, so I was inspired by a lot of stories of you know, people getting rich, like of Bill Gates and, um, you know, the the people that were famous back then. And also even before then, I I read stories of um, um, some some other guys from previous generations like Rockefeller, the Vanderbilt, and people like that. You know, just trying to understand, you know, how those people more or less, you know, were able to to influence the world and, you know, create value.
0: So what did you find out from your readings?
1: Oh, number one. So, So the important thing is this. Number one is you need to create value you need to create value I don't want to say a lot of things about a lot of negative things about Nigeria because I actually like my country but um, Nigeria is one of the few places in the world where you can actually become rich without creating any value you just need to be someone's friend or know the right people at boom you are rich you know without actually creating any value but the, the normal theory for capitalism is that one person's one person's desire, you know, his, his own strive to change his life. And, you know, that whole process of changing his own life, it would create value. And that value will trickle down and impact either from his employees to an extent to impact the nation. You know, so what you have is someone has a fantastic idea and then he creates, a, he is able to create value that people are willing to pay for. And through that, just through that, through that process, you know, you get to have a lot of people employed. You know, it creates jobs. And then the people that you have employed too, we have people that are working for them. And, you know, the value just trickles down across the whole ecosystem. And that is what capitalism is based on. You know, but the reverse, what we find in Nigeria in some cases is that I just know someone and, you know, I just got this contract. You know, you have someone that made a billionaire of a deal and has two or three employees. That really is not, it doesn't usually work that way. If you are going to have a billion... Naira right, revenue, you should at least have maybe 20 30 people working for you, you know. Mm-hmm. So, because you, know, you, you, have, you need people to help you create that value, people to buy into your vision, and things like that. But, you know, so I, 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 on, I understood the, the, the impact of I need to create value. I look at people and I, I, I say, you know, your, my money is in your pockets, I need to be able to give you something to get my money that is in your pockets from you, you know, that, that, that kind of idea. So, it was all about what can I sell that people are willing to buy. So so that so that that, that that was it
0: for me. So the true test of value is that people must be willing to pay for it. Definitely. Definitely. And and that is very very
1: critical and I
0: I, I still tell a lot of employees today,
1: uh, sorry you no know, a lot of um, entrepreneurs. I have some entrepreneurs that I do mentor as well and I let them know that hey, sometimes I have this fantastic idea and you know I feel like this thing is so fantastic and it's going to change the world and you know it's going to become something really big. I tell them that that is what you think. But the truth is that you really don't have anything till you get into the markets. When you get to the market, the market decides what they wanna pay for. Your job is just to be able to listen to the market, you know, and be able to tweak your product in whatever way you can realize that you know the market is willing to pay for this. So so it's really just about what are you what are you offering and what is the market willing to pay for? And I think the the, the the common term today is called product market fits. You know, so that's you have the sure, product and then sure, the
0: market. Sure. Yeah. Okay. And how how old were you when you found this out so that the pathway to being the richest money is to create value?
1: I would have, off the top of my head, I would say maybe around 17, 18. Um, that was my early years in um, in university. and okay. uh, I, in a, So if I already made up my mind that for me to be rich and wealthy, the way I want to be wealthy in my life, I cannot be an employee. You know, because I realized that no matter how rich you, you, you how much money you get working for an oil company, working for a telco, working for... And even though a lot of those guys are really, really comfortable, I was not ready to settle for that. I, I wanted the... The, that time was the Bill Gates Rich and you know, I wanted that, that Bill Gates Rich and it wasn't it wasn't by being an employee you had to be the founder you know to get to that level
0: okay and even till today you still hold that belief that um, employees can't exactly be as rich as a founder which is, which is, it's not that I hold the belief, which is actually the truth, you know? So, it's, so you,
1: you, you need to be um, the creator the, the, the before you can actually um, be that wealthy. So I'm not saying employees can't be rich. There are a lot of employees that are even richer than I am. Like a lot of them, it just depends on where you work. You know, you're in an oil company, you are in a, maybe you're in a top guy in the bank, or definitely are like, we, we, we're way richer than I am. But the point I'm trying to make is that, the kind of wealth that I am chasing, that I was chasing and I'm still chasing anyway, is that type where, you know, is is more or less, you have no boundaries. You, you don't get there by being an employee. And um, I think that part of the problem that we've had over time as a nation as well is that our parents, a lot of our parents have misguided us um, because what happens usually from time to time is that something that works in this generation does not necessarily work in the next generation. So take for instance, the era of, let's say my parents, I would, I would be saying maybe the sixties, the fifties, you know, maybe part of the seventies as well, but fifties, sixties especially. The rule then was that to be successful as a Nigerian, all you have to do is go to school and do well with your studies. Once you can do well in your studies, you know, you graduate with a fantastic degree, there would be so many companies waiting to employ you. And that is just the beginning of your success. You know, you can go abroad, go and study, just get to a decent school, be the most hardworking guy, the guy that is reading the most, and like your life is made. And I'm telling you, that was the formula that cracked it in the 50s and the 60s and, and that era. You know, So all those guys that were top performers in that class, I don't want to call names, but there are a lot of big men in Nigeria today that they grew up in that era and it was simply by, you know, when, you, when they are reading their synopsis or whatever, you see that, oh, you, you know, you graduated here, did this year, got this degree here, got this degree there. That thing worked at that time. And that generation passed that information down saying, my child, all you need to do to be successful in life is get into a good school reach out, you know, read 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 with everything that you have, you know, study hard, work hard. And once the results come out, you know, and and you, you excel, you're definitely gonna get a good job. And that is the beginning of the success of your life, more or less. So, you know, a lot of people from the previous generation have passed out that information to so the current generation. But the truth is that the rules are changed, but they didn't know. So so right now, the truth is that the fact that you go to school and I know people that even have MSC, like they go to school, BSC it's not enough. They go MSC, everything. They're still looking for work because the jobs are not there anymore. So the rules have changed. Meanwhile, the, the, the message has not changed, you know? So now it's not about going to school and studying and reading. It's more about what can you offer? You know, what are you good at? And a lot of people that I see, even today that are looking for work, it's not because... It's because you know, they are finished school. It's actually because of, you know, what the parents, the parents told them. So they finished school, they've read a good course, and now they are like, okay, I'm done. What is next? And don't forget that, you know, the way we go to school in Nigeria, at least, which I'm sure of, is, is not really like, at the age you're going to school, maybe 14, 15, you're getting to university, you don't really know what you want to do with your life. So your parents are just going to say, you, you, you'll you be a good lawyer, acquired law, or you, I want my son to be an engineer. I should have a son as like a doctor. You read medicine. Which, ideally may have nothing to do with your life you know. in that context. So people that, you know, a lot of guys just finished school, so I've gotten a degree, like my parents said, I should get a degree. Now I need someone to employ me. A lot of these guys, the problem is that there are so many people in that bucket that it now becomes difficult to get a job. Meanwhile, the goals that I excel are those that finish and say, I'm really good in PR. I want to do PR because I'm really good at PR. Or I'm very good with numbers. I should be an accountant. Like people that actually know what they want and, are able to deliver on what they want. You know, they would. They, they are, You know, they already have a specialty because that's where life is turning into now. So you can come out and say, oh, I'm a good graphic artist. It's not something they even in school. It's just something that I know I'm good at or I'm a good developer, you know. And they, those are the people that, this is the time of people that know what they want to do with their lives, you know, in terms of they've been able to, they've been blessed enough to discover what their talent is. And they can say, I want to do this because I'm good at doing this. And those are the guys that, you know, it's always very easy to get a job for. Because even if you say, I'm looking for a job, you no, know, someone just picks up the phone and says, I have one guy. Guy is a fantastic graphic artist. You know, and automatically you see that, sharp, sharp, that guy gets a job. Because he's actually good at what he does. It's not about, I have a guy, you know, it's a different conversation when you call the guy and say, I have a car, I have one aburo that is looking for work. He just finished the economics. So, what can he do? Nothing. You know, so, so it's a different conversation entirely. But the, the message is, if we had been told, if the message had been different to say you need to think about how you can create value to be successful in life, then I I feel like generally the message changes. It's not about people that want to go to school and go and cram so that they can pass the exam and they can see why I graduate first class or whatever. The message then becomes the person is looking out to create value and how to impact, you know, the nation in that sense. If you you look at a lot of rich people globally, um, from the likes of Rockefeller to the likes of Vanderbilt, all those guys, those guys were doing, like, I didn't know how to use the word to use. Just take, for instance, Vanderbilt. The guy was laying train tracks across the U.S. You know, that that, that is something that in Nigeria today, Nigeria is supposed to do. It's not something that one individual just comes up to say, I'm going to lay a track from this state to this state, and I'm going to build a bridge, and I'm going to... You know, so my point is, you know, people have to understand that I need to create value. And then in return, and same thing even applies to employees because employees too, wherever you're working, is really just about creating value. The amount of value you create in that workplace is supposed to be proportional to the returns that you get. It's not always proportional, but ideally, in an ideal world, it's supposed to be proportional to the value that you get. You know, so that's why, you know, of course, nobody's salary, people's salaries are always the same. People's salaries are different because the value they're expected to create is supposed to be different. So it's really just, at the end of the day, it comes down to value creation.
0: Okay. And the starting point of value creation is self-awareness and knowing what you want. Thank you very much. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Now, how did this impact on you choosing to study computer science and engineering? Did you know what you wanted at that point? Of course not. Just like I said earlier, you know, so my dad read computer science,
1: you know, and. When you are filling the jam form in Nigeria, very, very few people at that age know what they want to go and study. You know, so it's just going to be based on what the parents think makes sense for this child. And then you fill your jam form, and then if you pass the jam, in some, a lot of cases, your your from the jam, will determine where the university will put you. you know, but, but it wasn't by choice. In fact, for so many years of my life as a, as a computer engineering student, I thought I was wasting my time. From my part one to my part four. Honestly, I thought that I was wasting my time as a computer engineering student because I already knew that I wanted to be a businessman. I was already doing businesses and I was already making money. So it did not make sense that I was doing computer science and engineering. But then all that changed when I went for what we call IT internship, you know, so as an engineering student, you actually are not in school for you part four second semester. You're supposed to be, to be doing your internship program, which means that you'll be working in, in the firm related to your field and then learn some real life experience. And I think that was what changed the whole concept for me because when I did at IT in a, in a technology firm, I kind of got exposed to my field in terms of computer, computer science and engineering. And I realized that, wow, there is so much to be done here. There's so much value that I can contribute. There is so much, you know, it wasn't it was to it my part four internship program that I fell in love with my course. You know, so that's very interesting. And then I was like, wow, I'm actually in the right field, which of course was was a coincidence, but I'm actually in the right field. And it was really just about, you know, I'm here now and this is what I'm going to focus on as a business. Prior to that, all my other businesses had been, um, I, I'd, 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 I'd run um, a chicken and chips business. i started a university newspaper. Um, I'd run a phone call, phone call, phone boat business. You know, so they've all been more like buying and selling and then I used to sell laptops and things. You know, so they've been more like, you know, maybe buy and sell or, you know, but this was the first time I realized that technology has massive potential and i was in the right department and i was going to do something on technology it wasn't in my path for.
0: at that point since you had um you hadn't exactly focused since 100 level was it too late to go back to start learning what you had what you had uh, missed or hadn't paid attention to or how exactly then, then you, then was
1: also, it wasn't too late it wasn't too late you know the thing about school is that A lot of times in school, what you learn in school is not really practical. It's not something that you can actually practice. And also as an engineering student, I did a lot of maths that I, you know, like, I do not know why they still call that the maths anyway, but because I used to be very good at maths, primary school, secondary school. And then when we started doing some very, very serious maths, engineering maths, it was, and you know, know, I, I realized I wasn't good at maths, you know, but sadly the name was still maths, but it was like a completely different level. But, you know, the point is, you know, you're learning all these things that really there's, there's, it has no practical use. I, I think that the, the things that that have practical use, you really don't start learning them to maybe part four, part five. And even though they're very, very limited. So I, I don't want to you know, say anything negative about my university, but at, at the same, I, I don't think I can remember more than one or two courses that I can feel like what I'm talking about now, I learned it in school. I, I, maybe yeah. just two courses at the very most. Most of the other things you learn, you know, on your own. So it wasn't too late. And also something else that didn't make it too late, which is something that I realized some years later, was this story. I, and I first, I heard it from um, Bill Clinton. So I, I kind of read, it, read a lot. So it was from a Bill Clinton book. I can't remember the book actually, but there was a phrase there that I used, which stuck, stuck with me since then. And, and it, you know, the phrase is, he who knows why, would always be the boss of evil knows how. Now, that just more or less explains it that in order to do what I'm doing, I don't know how to write, I don't need to know how to write every line of code or how to know exactly you know, the, or, or everything to the to the every little bit and piece. All, all I just really need to understand is the why. And once I have the why, the how. All I need is just the basic knowledge so that nobody defrauds me. But if you understand the why, you would
0: always get people that can come and build it out for you. Interesting. Interesting. Um, So you run those different businesses in school. How did you get copied out to start that?
1: Um, So the very first business that I ran was the phone call business. Um, So 2001, and it was between my part one and my part two. Um, there was this very long ass break and my friend and I decided to go into business. And um, GSTM just came out then. So we said, hey, let's do phone calls. So we got, um, it was finance mostly. I got some, the, the SIM card waiting for the phone call was from my, my sister. You know, she had gotten a SIM card, even though she didn't have a phone. I know back then, SIM card was way more expensive than phone. Um, that was when GSM came out, SIM card was like 30K or something. So, so we're using my sister's SIM card, um, we bought a small sergeant set. Um, my, my cousin, she used to work in a the bank then she's relocated now. She was um, more or less our major financer. Um, so she financed all the recharge cards we were selling. I think we had a 60 40 deal, you know, so she brought in all the capital for the recharge card, it was mostly from my cousin, from my very first business. And then um, the second business was financed What did you tell her, sorry, that she agreed of, to finance it? Well, it was a partnership, you know, so she was financing um, recharge cards that we were selling. So it was a phone call business, you know, and the deal was that anytime we sold recharge card, I think she was keeping 60% of the, of the margin and we we're keeping 40%. So you just
0: told her you know, and 40. then she agreed to the business and to the deal.
1: Yes, it was business and deal now. And so we, were like, we are like, we are going to sell recharge card. We need, I can't buy how much now, but let's say um, 14,000 as an example. I think she gave us around 30K then. But we need like 14K as an example to buy um recharge card. This 14K is going to buy 10, 1,500 recharge cards as an example. And then once, this is how much we will make of it. And then you get to keep 60%, we keep 10%. And also, and that was, that was pretty much it. So she, 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 she dropped the money. She was working in the bank. She dropped the money. And when, when we sell, you know, I, I can't remember what the payments was like. I don't, I'm not sure. Maybe we're paying per pack or per whatever, but, you know, we'll, we'll give our money back and then we'll, we'll give her the interest and then we'll use the money to rebuy back the, the recharge card. So that was pretty much the beginning. And for most businesses as well, I like to tell people that, you know, sourcing for finance, is, it's always like you have this very big ocean. And in that ocean, you have um, you have sharks which are usually the VCs. But in that same motion, you have the fishes as well, the smaller fishes. Always start with the fishes. Like, you know, so capital should never be a reason why you can't start a business. Never, you know, so once you have the idea and you think you can execute, talk to your fishes, talk to your mom, talk to your brother, talk to your sister. You know, talk to all those people, talk to one uncle, one neighbor, you know, just, you you should be able to get enough to kick off. And then, you know, later, because a lot of people just say, oh, I Don't have money, I can't start. It's, it's, it's not true, you know. If you're passionate enough about the idea, all those things the money will always come. So, yes, um, I, I, my first business was financed by by my cousin mostly. Um, the next business was financed from the process of the first business and my brother, and then um, on and on and on. You know, I, I read a book one time, it was, um. It was from, by Tetona. Tetona was the founder of um, CNN, Cartoon Network, and a lot of stations, you know. And he said that the first time in his life that he started the business without having enough capital to start it was CNN. Every other company, before CNN, he had had a lot of companies, you know. He used to sell billboards. Then He had, a, he had like a chain of radio stations, you know, But, you know, all those businesses that he did, the very first business that he ever did, you know, was starting off, um, there was no money. Or rather, he had money, but he didn't have enough money, but he just started anyway. That the first time he ever did that was when he was starting, was founding CNN. And to me, that was so surprising because I started, by then, I started a lot of businesses. And everyone, I never had capital, like never had capital. I just jumped into it and... As like jump into it, the money starts coming. The money looks for me, more or less, you know, and we're able to raise, you know, for each need.
0: Didn't you have fears or doubts that it wouldn't work or, I don't know, were you just taking risks and you didn't have any fears at this young age moving from one business idea to the next? Yeah. All
1: right, so it's always very important if you want to be an entrepreneur. Well, a lot of people, like, a lot of people start in their 40s and 50s. But honestly, I think you have an advantage when you start young. You need to start young. When you are young, you have very, very little. Very, very. You are taking, the, the risks you are taking is way, way, way much smaller. So what what I mean is that I, I started. I started my business at one point. I'd got into that level where I'd moved out of my parents' house. I was already doing bachelor. And then business was not making sense. I was not making money. I couldn't pay rent. And you know what I did? I packed my stuff and I moved back to my parents' house. My parents were happy to have me, by the way. They didn't want me to move out in the first place. <laughs> you know, I moved okay. back to my father's house. You know, and I was eating for free and not paying rent. But I could only do that because of the age that I started. And, you know, I had time. Right now, I am married. I have two kids. God forbid something goes wrong. I can't go back to my father's house. Do you understand? Because now I'm at that age where the risks I can take are now limited. I need to make sure that even if I want to take risks, certain things are taken care of. I need to think about I'm going to pay school fees, I'm going to do all that. But when I was younger, mm. like my twenties, I had those risks were not there, you know. So I could I didn't care. You know, I, I was ready to go all in and really just go on the go all in, burn your bridges and you know, so you know. Yeah, I, I think I had the advantage of, of starting very, very young. At the age I am now, we'll say, oh, let's do something. I need to, you can't just create all the way anymore. You need to start thinking about, you know, I, am I going to take care of rent? Am I going to take care of, you know, because I've, I've gotten to that age now that I have a lot of responsibilities, but it, it wasn't always that way. So then I had, I had so much more to risk, Alright, I had so little to risk.
0: Uh, you didn't have any fears or doubts when you were launching those business ideas? No doubts, no doubts, no fears. You know, because as an entrepreneur, it's
1: important that first of all, you should have no doubts. Even when you have doubts, you need to talk yourself out of the doubts because being an entrepreneur, what that means is that the vision that you have, you need to be able to sell it. You cannot sell what you do not believe in. You will not sell it well. So you need to believe what you're selling. And what that means to be able to believe it is that you first of all talk yourself out of the doubt. Whatever the doubt is, you will put it on paper, you try to understand it, understand why you have that fear, why you have the doubt, and talk yourself out of it to say to get rid of that doubt. Once you once you are, you believe what you are doing and you're passionate about it, it becomes easier to sell to the people that are going to work with you. So, yes, as an entrepreneur, you shouldn't have doubts. However, there is always fear as well, but I don't think life will be boring without the fear. So you, you do it despite. And that is what that, that's actually the meaning of courage. So courage is you know being able to take action despite the fear, you know, because courage is not like you don't have fear. You have fear, everybody has fears. But taking action despite the fear, that is courage. So what you need is, you know, you need to be courageous.
0: Okay. So what did running these businesses in back then in the university, what lessons did they leave you with? What are the key lessons you learned?
1: Yeah, so um, I, I like to say that all those businesses that started back then was more or less like my MBA, because it was like I was learning how to do business without going to business school, more or less. So my, my business school was very practical. Um, a lot of things. But my, 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 my first business eventually got messed up by family, not my own family, my partner's family, because, you know, we had to go back to school. So we left it with charge. We put his cousin in charge in Lagos, and then we went back to Ife. You know, so at that very time, I learned that, you know, family can mess things up for you. The limits in terms of how many family members are in your business should be very, very. You know, you should really watch it. Um, even till now, I try to enforce a bit of family to employee ratio in my office because that's where people are looking for work. So every time one uncle will say, "There's someone here looking for work," someone here looking for work. So you need to be because if you just employ everybody, you're going to mess up your company. So you you need to. I I set a policy. I think if um, maybe maybe one family allowed for every 30 employees so that that way there's a bit of caution. And you know, you just don't employ family for the sake of employee family. You have to make sure that they, they need that the person is coming to. Solve. So I left very early on, which all these things I'm talking about the one in 30 ratio and all that was mostly because I had experience. I already put I had experience what family can do to your business, you know? So I had to make sure that, you know, I, I don't get into that trap again. So that is one. Um, my, my newspaper business, was very critical, because that business was, was. in fact, I, I think that I would maybe not be the person I am now, even not for that business, because when I was a student, I had 17 people writing for me, more or less, I had 17 employees, and this was just me being a student, you know, so to understand the kind of work it took to manage 17 people, be responsible for 70 people as a student, you know, so that, that at that time was like, it really gave me a lot of experience. So when, when I'm running a company, you know, as a full-time company now and I have 20 employees, 25 employees back then. It wasn't it wasn't like a strange phenomenon for me. I I had experience running already 17 people, you know. So current staff strength now anyways is about 100. But um so you know I would already experienced what it was like being able to manage a small team. But well, what I learned mostly from that business that I would never forget was that business for me was so tough. Like it was so tough. Because we had a newspaper that came out every Thursday, or it didn't make every Thursday. It was supposed to come out every Thursday. But it took so much work for me. I practically worked from Friday to Wednesday to get that paper out on Thursday. And it was draining my blood. You know, it was so much work doing everything. Cause I practically I was doing everything. You know, I was we reading every line, making sure there was no errors. I was negotiating with the publishers. I was looking for art traveling, looking for adverts in the newspaper. I did so much work. And I quickly learned, you know, after the business, the business didn't die. I I I think I went for IT and I was I didn't I didn't want I was so relieved that I stopped doing that business because it was drinking my blood. You know, I was fatigued. And and that is the concept today that is referred to as self-employed what I did that time was I created employment for myself I couldn't really think out of the business I was the business and the business could not exist outside of me you know so, so I went through it at that time and when it ended I was so relieved like oh my god that business was killing me but the truth was it wasn't even about the money it was just the business was so much weight you know and it was a few years later that I started thinking back and saying what, 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 what really happened in that business and then I kind of figured it out when you are going to do a business, you need to start thinking very early on on how the business can exist outside of you. You know, if you do not get figure this out, you are going to just create employment for yourself, and you really can't scale. You know, but these are things that I learned that you know, very early on, you need to create a system, even though you don't have any employees. Just create a system and say, this is the role, this is this role, this is this role, and then even though you are the one occupying these three roles right now, you know that. As time goes on, like I'm bringing someone to come and take this role, someone else take this role. You know, just start creating that system, which I didn't create back then for the newspaper. But you know, I had now let it very early on. So when I was starting my business properly, or the businesses I started, later, I already knew that hey, there needs to be a system in place. I cannot. So so was this Cliff
0: Store Africa?
1: No, this was actually um, Campus Weekly.
0: Okay, okay. No, you mentioned that you had that that you had learned. So when you are now starting your businesses subsequently, so yes. the business you started subsequently. Now was it Clicks to Africa, where you now put in place the lessons you learned from the weekly newspaper?
1: <laughs> Clicks to Africa, I did study, but it never took off. So I won't. Um, I wouldn't. Even, when I'm talking about the businesses I started, maybe I I'll mention it, but I, I don't think it wasn't one that, that the business didn't kick off. So the one, it was, will be more of the one after clicks to Africa, which was called bottom Air. Okay. Okay. Just continue. Yeah. You know, so, you know, by then I already knew that, hey, you can't create a business without creating structures. You're just going to, you're creating an employment for yourself. And um, also, I, I think that part of the thing that also helped differentiate me was from the one, I was already thinking about building a company. I don't know, but the best way I know how to explain the distinction is there's a difference between doing business and building a company. A lot of people mix it up, but it's not really the same thing. There are so many people out there that are doing business. I mean, I make shoes, so I'm selling shoes. I can even be, you know, I, I'm cutting, I'm a barber, because I know how to cut hair, So I'm, you know, I'm having a barber salon. All those guys are doing business. That concept is completely different from starting a company or building a company. When you are building a company, you are thinking more long term. You know, you are thinking about I need to create a business. I need to create a structure. You know, so and and the vision really makes a lot of difference. You know, some people will think and be like, oh, because um, because let, let's open a barber shop. You know, because I'm a barber, I can cut it. That is that is a business. Now a company, a barbering company, whatever. I would think and say, hey we need to open 20 babbling salons in Lagos. We are going to open in these local governments. We are going to have, you know, this central management system. We are going to have, you know, so, so the, the process of boats, they sound like the same thing, but the process is completely different. You know, so right from day one, when I wanted to, when, when I, you know, learned a lot, I already knew that like, what you're going to do is create a company. You're not doing this to do business. It's not about how much can I make now? It's about, I need to create structures that can make money, you know? so. Those are part of the key things that I learned over time.
0: Okay. Okay. So you went for your IT, you returned, there was interest in tech. So which one came first? Was it Clickstore Africa or bottom now It
1: was Clickstore Africa. Clickstore Africa actually upon during my IT. You know, so I was I was I was interning at um, manifold computers, and I think that the the CEO was one of my early inspirations as well. Um you know. When I met him, he, he just looked like the CEO that I wanted to be, you know, and um, he, he used to live very close to the office. And while everybody's struggling and entering, get trying to figure out how to get to work and get stuck in traffic, you know, he just goes to work. And then the never drives the car only the day that he has meetings. And, you know, so I, I looked at him and I felt like, oh, this is someone that I, I would like to be sometime in future. And even for me, till now I've more or less embodied that my, I work in Yaba, I live in Yaba, you know, I can't, you know, which was something that I saw with him first of all, because it just makes your life like a whole lot simpler. And, um, you know, so I already knew back then from my IT that when I do have my own company, I'm going to be living close to the office. It has to be, you know, so, and then, um, you know, just general things that you see and you admire. And, and I, so it was one of those, my I'm very early inspirations as well. So I saw him, and I knew that, you know, I want to be a CEO. I wanted to be in this industry. By then, I'd, I'd done, I've started and failed maybe like three businesses, and um I it was just a calling for me. I knew that I wanted to get out there. That I wanted to create value, and I would get paid for my value creation. So it was more or less like a calling. It was what I wanted to do. I'm I'm so passionate about creating stuff. I'm 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 that kind of person that. I need to just create it. You know, I need to, I need to, I see what is not there. And a lot of people do that as well, which is what you call ideas. But my own strength actually is now executing, getting from I have an idea to the idea is life. I think that that is one of my biggest strengths. And um, I'm I'm, I'm able to to make that come true. You know, so after IT, during IT, I actually started to Africa, but we we had the old website up. I had the company registered at CAC, but I think maybe we did one or two transactions. It, it never really kicked off, and then I I, I got so what back was Click
0: Africa about?
1: It was supposed to be an online mall. Then okay. there were no online malls. There were no online malls. But but I think the what were of you Africa, It was supposed to be everything, but I was starting with technology, so it was laptops mostly, laptops, phones. But you know, it was it was more like an Amazon. But I didn't own Amazon back then. It was just an online store really. Um, however, Clicks to Africa actually led me to Bonaire because when I when I started Clicks to Africa, the key problem that I had with it was payment. I just realized that you know making payments um, creating enabling payments on the store was it felt almost impossible. It was so expensive. You know, to put that up there. And I thought about it and said, hey, I can't be the only one having this problem. This is something that needs to be solved. You know? So click to Africa was my first sign of there's something in payments that needs to be fixed. The second sign was when I go to school, this was now part five, and everybody no more or less had laptops. You know, my past well, nobody had laptop. maybe just me. But by part five, the old school had laptop and um, people had started browsing the internet and there were a lot of things that people wanted to pay for, and they couldn't pay because we didn't have our normal debit cards that we have today. All we had then was one card called InterSwitch Card, it was a magnetic stripe, magnetic stripe card. What year was this? And um, it this was 2005, 2006. 2005. Okay.
0: 2005,
1: 2005. Mm. And so, what we had was the InterSwitch Card, a Mac stripe card. Um, you, you you can't really, you, if at all you want to use it online, you're only going to use it on inter websites. You know, you can't say, oh, hey, well, I, I saw this thing on this foreign side, or I want to pay for it. You, you couldn't really pay for anything. You know, so that was the second call to payment. And I knew that there's really something missing in payment. And I felt like I could solve it. And that was the beginning of my journey into payment. And I, I haven't looked back since 2005, 2006.
0: I'm still in payment. Yeah, okay.
1: I don't know, because now there's the whole the, the, the financial technology, which is called FinTech, so it's,
0: it's more, more expanded. But that was the beginning of my journey into the industry. Okay. So this was 2005, 2006. Um, um, so what happened next?
1: Yes. So I, I, I did start Bottom Era. Um, bottom Era, the, 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 the concept was very easy. You go to an online store, www.nira.com. Uh, If you find anything that you want to buy online, you just copy out the link, paste it on a URL, write some comments, write the amounts, and you submit. And then we'll get back to you, tell you how much I'm going to pay us in Naira. And then we'll make the payment for you. Now, notice that this were for foreign products. So, things like you wanted to pay for Maybe you wanted to buy antivirus. You wanted to pay for your software. You wanted to pay for school fees. Whatever you wanted to pay. It wasn't like a Nigerian thing. It was a foreign solution. So we're helping connect that gap. You
0: know,
1: um, We'll pay whatever you want to pay and we're charging 10%. So 10% of that commission. So you want to pay for something, $200. You pay $220. We keep $20. And then you, you get the... You get it. You will make the payment for you. However, um, Botanara could not scale because... I, I did it in partnership with a friend and uh, my friend was doing his master's in the UK then. So it was the guy paying with his foreign with, with his foreign card, but I was collecting the cash in error. And this era where I was talking about is not like it's not like, um, <laughs> it's, it's not like uh, you know, there was it, the guy had no access to his local accounts here. It was just bottom finish. You know, so what was happening was that as I was collecting Naira from people that I wanted to pay in school, I was paying Naira into his bank accounts in Nigeria here but he had no access to it back then. Yeah. In the- oh, okay. So it was more or less paying from the funds that he had in UK. UK. This guy was a guy that was a student. He was doing his master's. He was working like two jobs. He was, he was struggling to make ends meet, you know, in the UK. And all of a sudden, he had to be paying for, for requests that we had. And we had a lot of requests because, you know, Back then, marketing in school was not that difficult. So I just, I printed a lot of A4 papers. Every department back then had these notice boards. And I was just, you know, just pasted on notice boards. See, you wouldn't pay for anything online, contacts, blah, 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 dot com. You know, so I pasted the, the the A4 paper all around school. So I had people with interest, I had people that had things to pay. And then we paid some and we started having issues. We couldn't pay everything because it used to be broke. And um, it got to that stage where... People were looking for me. I was avoiding them because I'd collected Naira from a lot of people <laughs> and I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't make payments for them. You know, so I used to like, I used to run around, avoid people. And then one day I just like added up to here. Like, this is it, man. I can't, this shit, it can't work like this. You know, so I started returning people's money. It was painful, but I did it because of my peace of mind because at that time there was no peace of mind anymore. Like people were looking for me. You know, so I started returning people's money. And um, after I did, you know, that was more or less the end of that business. That was the bottom era. But I knew that people were willing to pay me for this. You know, I have to be in payments. Like, people were actually paying me for this. You know, so I I knew that, yeah, payments, I'm going to be here. I just need to figure out how to solve this problem. You know, and that was what led to the creation of Cash Envoy. Cash Invo eventually launched in 2009, but it's a product that I've been working on since like 2007. Yeah. You know, so okay. just immediately after after Click to Africa, bottom Africa, after Click to Africa, bottom Naira, then Cash Invo. So I've been working on Cash Envoy since like 2007, cool. Um, but it eventually launched 2009. Problem with why it for so long was technical, you know, Cachevore is actually a very, very robust payment platform. And um, just building that stuff was so much work. And I was a student around, you know, I, was, I, I think I graduated that on a second. You know, so it was just that era where I was leaving school. I had some part two developers that were working on a project. And um, those guys almost killed the project, to be honest. Like, we, we just kept pushing the launch dates, pushing the load dates. So eventually... I got to that level where I was frustrated, and I realized that I could not. I can't launch with these guys, you know. I put the launch it for so many months, so I I, I realized that you know, because when I was a student, I used to so, write code too, you know. I was a computer science, so I really do classes to write code. Even though I was never like like a very good coder, But I knew as a student, then you know the guys that were like your bosses when it comes to let's write the software. The guys that when you get stuck, you know, you got meets. You guys may be in the same class, but those guys were already writing softwares and you know, so I, I just remember that, you know, the best guy I knew back then was a guy called Shegun. Rather the guy called Shegun, right, like Shegwan King. And um the guy used to write like was a real cooler. And he had you already had projects All so the students were already working for some companies, building softwares and stuff for them. So I went to shagun and I said, Hey bro, how you doing now? And you know, just in the is the same in Lagos, and then we had just finished school. And I said, um, I have these projects and, you know, I want us to work on it together. And he looked at it and said, okay, I'll go, I can do this. It's very interesting. Um, this is how much I'm going to pay. And I said, hey, Bruce, I don't have share. I don't have money to give you. Let's be partners. And basically that was the beginning of, of Cash & we, we We built Cash & The only money that we had back then was um, 75K, which I got from family again. You know, I always say get money from the fishes first before you go. You go to the sharks later. You know, but um, we pretty much just started cashing away with nothing. It was just two of us. Um, we got family connection. We got an office in Yaba. Um, we had just one table, and then later we had one employee, so it was three of us. And then Shegun went abroad for his masters, and then became two of us. And you know, it was just you know very very humble beginnings. You know, this was still two thousand and seven. Then- this was 2009 now. Okay, so 2009, okay. 2009, yes. So very humble beginnings. During that period as well, when I had finished school, I finished when I went out of the house, mostly because um, I was already working on cash everywhere. and You know, the, the way it was with parents, mostly, is, you know, when you're, you're done with school, so next thing I'm supposed to do is you need to get a job, you know, so you want to send it to this person or send it to that person or, you know, you start applying for jobs. But I wasn't in any of that. And they're like, why are you not looking for work? And I'm like, because I'm ready. I, I, because I'm, I already have my business, you know, I'm building something called Cash Envoy. And they're like, what's that? And I, I started explaining that, you know, people who can use it to pay over the internet. Nobody, like, you know, my parents were just like, what's this guy talking about? This guy is lazy. Like, he's not willing to work. <laughs> you know, like, how would he just finish school? And you're not looking for work. And you're saying you're starting a business and, when we say, explain the business to us, it's not even <laughs>
0: making- <laughs> <laughs> Okay. It was way ahead of their time.
1: Yes. So I, so I had a lot of... And around this time, 2009, even the business was way ahead of its time because back then, we had just like getting Nigerian websites that were commercial websites. And I, I know for a fact, because we, we did our research. So we had um, companies like um, Bring It Bay. <laughs> Bring it back three stitches. The only one that I think still exists today is um, owned by um, <laughs> what what is that called now Prague, owned by Prague. Um I can't remember their URL anymore, but you know they they still are still running online, so they even do they run physical stores as well. But um, yeah, so it was just 13 sites and we 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 just thought that, hey, the internet is booming and we are going to do this and a lot of people are going to sell on the internet and when they want to sell on the internet we would already be in place you know so we just become the the the, the de facto choice you know so that was what led us to do that it used to be so tough back then um so eventually because of of the pressures from home i i had to move out from the house um i moved in with a friend that had a supermarket back then i was running it was at that time was the biggest supermarket in Ecuador. And he wanted me to come and help run it because you already knew that, you know, I had a lot of business sense, I'd done a lot of businesses, even some businesses like that did, I didn't mention by the way. But you know, I, you know so I had like a track record. So I was like, hey, come and help me run my supermarket. You know, so which I I was willing to do for free, but even though he agreed to pay me. Um, but the money at that time, it wasn't really about the money. Um, my salary there was 30K a month. And um, sometimes as well, I advise people that when you want to do something don't really bother about the salary you know so i, I tell for instance someone says, i want to open a market like like shop price i say why don't i get the job there you don't even need to collect salary but you need to understand the process you need to understand how to keep inventory you need to understand how to make sure that they don't steal your inventory you need to make sure to understand how to source for goods you know so that it's not like when you now start you are now learning certain things you know so for me it was just it wasn't about the money you know, because I already had the vision. I knew what I wanted to build. You know, so I, I took it anyway and it gave me the room to move away from move away from home. And you know, when I, nobody was putting pressure on me to look for work anymore, I could focus and build. And um I started working, you know, you know, on the product, trying to get the product to market. I, I knew there used to be very tough days. There were days that I didn't want to have transfer money to go to work. You know, it was that bad. You know, no money. Like I'm supposed to go to the office in Yaba, there's no transfer money. And um, so, so I went through through all that phase.
0: and um, yeah. And how long did it continue for before you finally made some headway? Well,
1: I <laughs> that, that period was, of course, it wasn't like um, it wasn't like you're doing the business and you're not making any money. We're making money, but it wasn't. It wasn't the kind of money that you can say, "Hey, I've made enough money now, and and I'm ready to get married." though. I'm ready to. It wasn't that kind of money. It was just like we're making pocket change. Let me put it that way. You know, so, like, how much, can, you, can
0: you talk
1: about it? Um, I, I can't remember the specifics, but I, I think you know one thing that I had going for me was because I I wasn't really from a poor family. You know, you never really got that bad. You know, despite the fact that, do you know the also? Do you know the also? Do you know the also? I was still able to buy a car. You know, I had a car before in the past, maybe as a student. You know that I sold, and then um, I was able to buy another car for my. The that, period, that I bought my Audi. I bought it for my cousin, and I remember that my dad gave me about 15 percent of the. Money. And then I, I, I had to cough up the, the balance fifty percent, you know. So it was, it was also in times, but you know, it wasn't like I was, I was like dead broke. Of course, there were instances where I had dead broke periods as well. There's one story that that is, you know, very difficult to forget. You know, where I went for a meeting in VI. I went to actually go and present to an investor. You know, about you know, come and give me money on this what I'm trying to build. And um, I drove my car was. Was an day four. There was no fuel inside, but someone in VI was owing me money. You know, someone that was working. So the plan was, I was going to drive to VI. I was going to do this presentation in the morning. Once I leave that presentation, I go to my friend's office that is owing me money, and money is like collect money maybe like three k or four k or something. I collect that cash, buy fuel, I come back to the mainland. You know, so I drive all the way to VI. I go and make this presentation. You know, and. You know, it didn't work out anyway. They just thought me I was too too early for them. And then I go see my friend, and he says, Guy, I don't have your money. You know, I won't be paid, blah blah blah. And then of a sudden I realized that I'm in the car in VI I need to get back to the mainland where I'm based I didn't know for my car, you know. So I I go very spiritual and I'm like, God, you need to get, get, get me up. I get a third wheeler bridge and I just keep pushing. And like I'm looking at the four tack, the four tack is telling me I was zero. The four light has been on since my as I was going to VI, the four light had come on. You know, so I, I went to VI. So I'm on third millon bridge and I'm driving, and the only fuel in the car is just, you know, maybe blood of Jesus or something, just pushing the car. And you know, I just keep praying. And I actually get to I'm, I can't remember which one it was now, even if it's MRS that it's first or mobile, that's on Third Mainland Bridge when you are getting down into the mainland. Um, that key to access, there are like two filling stations. You know, that was really where my feet could get me up to. Like, I couldn't, like, immediately like I saw that filling station, the prayer just became, God, let me get to that filling station. In front of <laughs> and the like minute I got there, I couldn't reach it anymore. So I just parked into the filling station and I got down and I started actually begging. You know, so people are coming to buy for and I'll be like, Good afternoon, sir. Since <laughs> anywhere I need to buy fuel in my car. She <laughs> so, Nigerians are done nice. there, so people do help me. You know, wow. Nigerians are done nice. there. Eventually, someone did, and it was just 200 naira. Yeah. Wow. But but then, I think it was cheaper than it is now. It was expensive then, but it was cheaper. So I think maybe 200, like maybe like three liters or something. And, um, you know, I, I spoke to maybe like six, seven people, you know, before one person gave me 20 I was like, ah, these guys are never nice. I'm, like, <laughs> I'm wearing shit and I've talked in. And I'm like, please, give anybody to just buy a little for in my car. And everybody was just weaving me away, you know. But eventually, one guy gave me 200 So I bought like three liters on their And then, you know, I, I could get them. You know, but those are just part of those stories that are, are nice to tell now. But back then, it was like, I just went through something like very, very, very very dramatic, you know, but
0: but but yeah. So really, Was this still two thousand and nine? No, this would have been around two thousand and twelve. Oh, okay. So between two thousand and nine and two thousand and twelve, you were still trying to find your feet. Just finding my feet, finding
1: my feet. Now the crazy thing is, sometimes around during that period, during that period, it felt like it felt it felt really bad. It felt like you know. We are just hustling and things were not really working out in that sense. During all this period as well, I got a CBN license, you know, which was fantastic anyway because I didn't know anybody in CBN. Yes, I learned you had to
0: go present in, um, to CBN for a no-objection yes, policy correct. or something. How did that happen?
1: Um, well, so, so while, while trying to build a product, there was something that helped me during that period, which sometimes people still ask me that, you know, sometimes when you want to give up, what do you do? So I had gone through this process where things are not really working out. I don't have the traction I want. And I'm like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I just want to give an example now. We're in um, June. So I said, this is June, 2020. I'm going to stop doing this business, this current business. As an example, June, December, 2020. Like I'm going to quit because there's no traction. But when I quit in December, I need to make sure that I did everything possible to make this business succeed. And the business didn't succeed, not because I gave up, not because I didn't try enough, but because it was impossible to scale, more or less. You know? So I, I would make that commitment to myself to say, I'm going to give in this extra three months or this extra four months or this extra six months if this, if this, if, this, if it doesn't budge, then this business cannot work, you know? So once, once I talk to myself and I commit to that, within those period, when I start doing everything possible to make it succeed, all of a sudden, things just really start happening. And then the, a lot of times, I even forget the deadline that I've given myself because by the time that deadline gets there, I've already gone past it. Like, there's already so much, a bit of traction, enough to move me forward, you know? So one of those things that I encountered then was I realized that for me to be able to scale this business, I need big players. And then we didn't have, like I said, we didn't have a lot of people selling online. So the big guys then were aero contractors. They, they were one of the first guys that attraction was selling. You know, you, you if you actually back then, if you go and buy your aero ticket to Abuja, you pay like, if you pay cash, you pay like 15, 20K. But if you buy online, you pay like 6, 5, 7K. You know, I, I don't know why it was that way, but you were like the main guys that were selling shit online then. You know, so I had gone to Aero Aerocontractor, I was going to DHTV as well for a meeting, getting people to use Cash Envoy. And the feedback I kept getting was, you know, you are not regulated. You need something from CBN. So I felt like, okay, if CBN was going to be it, then I had to get something from CBN. And um, I, I really didn't know anybody from CBN. But, and honestly, I, I was just checking the newspapers one day, and I saw an event by IPAN, you know, IP Association of Nigeria, and guest speaker was supposed to be the 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 head of the department payment and service department and cbm back then mr toloy and um i just looked at it and i felt like i need to be here i need to talk to this man and let him know that you know i need a cbm license what am i supposed to do you know so i, I get to that i get to the events of course i kind of qualify. i wasn't a member then later i became a member but you know so i i more or less crashed that event and um I don't know, you know, some things just happen, like like God, you know. For some strange reason, I was on the same table with the CBN guy, you know. I, I don't know why I was that but Anyway, he got caught, but interestingly, the guy didn't come, the man that was supposed to be the, the, the head of the director that was supposed to present that he didn't come, so he, he sent the representative. But as God through David, I was on the same table as the representative, you know. So we were sitting together, we already greeted, and then they called him to the stage. So he had, it was like on the panelist, whatever on the stage. And then, you know, but yeah, he, he still had stuff on the table. And um, when he finished, he came down. I carried his stuff. I went to meet him. Some of my, some of my colleagues then, I had one of my schoolmates that was at the event as well. She said that she thought I was working in Sibian because the way I was carrying the guy's bag and following him, you know, she was like, oh, maybe we came together. But we didn't come together. I was just marking the man and trying to explain that You know, so I have a product, the web payment products, and I kind of need something from CBN, you know. So he gave me his card and he said, come and meet me in Abuja. So that was really just it. So I I went to Abuja to buy the same. And um, they gave me this list of all the things that I needed to have, you know, which was a lot. You know, But I came back to Lagos and I started putting things together, documentations, you know, a lot of, a lot of, really a lot of stuff. Basically, all the things that Sibian wanted to see—you know, what the security process is, all that stuff—I put everything together, and then um, I went back to go and present myself now and um, my other guys. there were three of us in total. We wore a suit and tie; looks very corporate, and we went to present. It was—it was at that point from my, in my life was very, very instrumental as well because you know this was a period where I just maybe graduated school. Two years ago, and all of a sudden, I'm getting a letter of invitation to come and present in CBN. You know, it just felt like, wow. How old were you then? You know, I would have been 26. Okay. Okay. So it was a masterful year that was massive, you know, so I go there. And one thing I kept telling myself, there were two things that I think some of should have presentation. Now, anyway, I've gone to do more presentations. I've gone to do more presentations at CVN. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, back, then, back then, two things that were that for me, the first one was that um, my, my, my project presentation in OAU, when I was graduating, mm-hmm. it was a nightmare. You know, number one was that I was presenting. For some reason, that technology worked the day before. It was something about biometrics. It worked the day before. It worked that morning. And then I get into, you know, the the defense room, and the thing just connected. You know, it wasn't working. And then, <laughs> and then Nigeria we I don't know, There was lots of stuff to me. And then we had this very, you know, it, I, I don't want this wicked lecturer because now he's my friend. But back then, he wasn't my friend, you know, and, you know, the old departments used to be scared of him, you know, so scared, like really, really scared. I remember one time, previous, maybe like was taking me a course in part three, and I come into the class, and I told him that, you know, if your phone should ring in this class, that is the end of your career in that department. And I was so scared. I was just trying to tell you how I was, I was scary the guy was. I was so scared that my phone was off even before he came in. But immediately said that, say, I removed the battery of my phone just to make sure that because I was scared that this phone can be off." But I like it must not ring for any reason. So it being off was enough. I actually removed the battery just to be sure that you know my phone was not ringing. Like that guy was that scary that time. And also it was my project defense, and he just tore the whole thing apart. You know like destroyed me completely, like made me feel so irrelevant and insignificant. And, you know, he more or less murdered me, like you're coming back to do this project defense. There's no way you're going to pass. You know, you won't graduate. This is terrible, 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 you know? So I felt like, number one, as I was going to be on a CBN, nobody was going to talk to me the way I'd already been talked to at, at, at that defense, you know? I felt like I'd already gone through the worst confidence too was that I was going to present something that I had built you know so I wasn't going to tell them how to run Nigeria's economy or how to fix the, the the crisis or whatever we had in Nigeria it was just I had built a solution and I was going to present what I had built you know and do a live demo and all that stuff so those were the two things that gave me confidence and you know I I went in there and they they, they clapped for us you know back then this was 2000 and, 2010 there was no OTP like we have OTP now. So it was, I I'm not, i don't know, maybe was get, maybe at that time they, they had seen OTP before, but, you know, from the expression where they were like, oh, I got the OTP and all that stuff, you know, it, it was, we had built something that was that was good, you know, and, and we could see their precision, you know. So well, it was a very good presentation and, and that was it. And, you know, of course we didn't get the license immediately. But oh, uh, okay. You know, we, How long did it take? Uh, we to, I think maybe after that presentation, maybe another six months, maybe another four to six months or there about. But yeah, it came out eventually. I had to do another follow-up. I had to, uh, man, it was so difficult. I had to crash another event. See someone else at CBN. And then, you know, that person started following up for me and eventually came out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This was still between 2009 and 2012. Yes, we actually got the CBN license in 2011. So all the presentation in CBN was 2010, and then um,
0: we got the license early 2011. Okay, okay. And within this period, there were moments when you wanted to give up. Well, every time we have those moments, like back then, because
1: this was, like I said, between 2009 to 2012, well, let me see. Two thousand and yeah, two thousand and nine and two thousand and twelve, or let me see, two thousand and eleven. It was really just it was two years of struggle, more or less. Two thousand and eleven became easier mostly because we raised the first capital I ever raised externally from an investor. That was two thousand and eleven. Okay. How much so is that? That was that? Was two millionaire. Okay. That was when things started getting a bit simpler, or a bit easier rather. Right?
0: So what, what what made this investment pitch different how how were you able to clinch the deal?
1: Oh it was it was easy. It was easy honestly because um they wanted me more than I wanted them so it was it was easy. Um you know the the, the concepts and like you, you learn every day the concept back then was I was yeah, going to start a company it have to make sense. You're going to have market traction. You're going to make money and you're going to use the money to grow. But the, the truth is that it hardly hardly ever happens that way. And even when it does, it's so difficult, you know. So in a lot of times, we need investments. These are, right now, when you are starting, you are starting a business today, things have changed. Right now, guys are starting business and they are raising money day two, day three. But this area I'm talking about, we didn't have VCs in 2009, 2010. There were no VCs, you know. The only guys that had done the magic then and had raised just I think it was just those guys then. Maybe there were a lot of other coded deals, but the major one that everybody knew then was was just Jabberman. You know, I didn't even remember the German then it happened like a long time. It was around that that period. So they were like the only major deal, you know, back then. Nobody really knew anybody called VCs and, and so on in Nigeria, but yeah, so we—I we, we, I was able to do that. Those guys, you know, they came to me and they said oh, we want to invest in what you're building,
0: and I was like, um, so they came to you. You didn't go meet them. No, so they came to me. How did they hear about you? Um, they were connected to someone I knew from IFE. Okay,
1: you know, so and they were not VC's in that at that time anyway. In that in that context, they were, they were just you know people that they had set aside some money to invest in some small small companies and. I kind of fell into that that bracket for them. Okay, so they came to me to you. Yeah, yep. So it was probably, I think, since then. Interestingly, they were, they were not the. Um, they they were not so you know so investment happens in two ways. The easier type is when the investor comes to you, which has happened to me, maybe twice. Maybe twice or more. I'm not even sure. Sometimes you, you both go to each other, but um, like like twice it has happened that you know the investor you know sort, sort, sort me out, reached out to me, and then you know we we, we talk and we get a great deal. So those yeah, when when that happens, is you're, you're usually blessed, you know, because the work you need to do is is lesser
0: because
1: the investor had probably done his own research to say, you know, I like this guy. I like what these guys are trying to build. And then when they reach out to you, it's going to be a lot easier than when you are the one looking for money and you are going to them, you know. Yeah, but things they are getting into that 2011, um, that was like the first time I raised. And then um I, I think we didn't really eat it till we had to pivot, which I think is important for every business to understand. Another very important concept for every business, the idea and concept of pivoting, which is that what the idea that you set out to do may actually may not always work. You need to be able to listen to the market and be adaptable. That is really what pivoting is about. But then pivoting should always, at the same time, always be within the same space. And that's really what is pivoting. So so that you can apply the experiences length, you know, in the first business into whatever you're pivoting into. So also something else that I got to realize sometime last year, was um you know so I started getting a lot of speaking engagements um for trainings in the industry, and you know people that were calling me, and I mean institutions. I don't, I don't, I don't want to call their name, but you know they they felt like let's call Lalu to come out and talk about e payments because they felt I had a deep understanding of the industry. You know, so I go and I I talk for one hour, and you know on aarium maybe like a fifty k, which I don't always ask for, but. You know, sometimes I get 50K, 100K for talking. And, you know, and I'm thinking about it that like, why are they calling me to come and speak at these events? Is because I have an understanding of the industry. But that understanding of the industry, I did not read it from a book. I actually, I was in the industry. What I'm trying to say is that all the years, like let's say 2009 to 2011 or 12, that I was really just hustling and hustling and hustling. Even though it was hustling, I was building a network. I had only developing relationship with switches, developing relationship with banks, developing relationship with, you know, building these relationships that later, in later, later years, I was dripping from, you know, but when I was doing that at work, it felt as if there was no result. But the truth is that there is nothing in your life that you do that is wasted, you know? In the future, you realize that all those years that I was doing this, what they call them is years of experience. You know, it may have been that, oh, I, you know, we spent two years figuring things out, but what you've actually done is two years of experience, you know, and I, I, I started getting paid literally for those years of experience. You know, there, there's no time that i really wasted. The, the, just whatever you're doing, just know that you're getting years of experience. Okay. Okay. So
0: 2011, you get the investment, you get the license. And then he started to pivot, like you said. So, how did this happen?
1: Well, um, I think I was intrigued by by something, a new technology that came out in 2012, which was in the same industry, you know, and it was really just payments. And it was by Jack Dorsey, and it was in Nigeria last year. And um, it was founder of Twitter, you know, so he started a company called Square. And the idea really is that my iPhone can do everything. You know, I can take a picture, I can take the time. My iPhone should be able to receive payments as well. You know, so, I started the Common called Square and it built a dongle that you you connect to your iPhone and you can swipe your card and it gets, you know, your iPhone becomes a POS. So that was the concept. You know, so he launched that in 2012 and I just knew that I love this idea and I need to get it into the country. You know, and I felt like you know, if I can get it into the country, number one, it becomes a complementary product because I then have online payments, I have physical payments, and you know, I could bring them all together. And um, I started pursuing that concept of mobile point of sale, which is mPOS. And you know, yeah, so that was pretty much it. And we couldn't get into the market till 2013. I think we were the first guys to get licensed by NIBS to provide mobile point of sale technology in Nigeria. Um, there was a, someone. That, yeah, so, you know, so that was, that was the pivot. It was into mobile point of sale. And
0: how were you able, able to get there. the license?
1: Um, so Nibs license, you need to, of you know, course, there's, there's, like, there's the technical part and then the business parts, you know, you submit an application, you actually build the application, the the application that you want to connect to the NIP Central switch and things like that, you know, and then you pay some money as well. Um, at, at this time I had, I was already talking to my second and third investor. Those, those investments came in around the same period. And, um, you know, the, the process was a lot easier, by now we're already employing people. You know, we had grown from three people to four to five to six or seven. I think we had about seven people at that time. And, um, yeah. So, we, we 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 there's 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 a later process that we have, you have to go through. So we did all that and we applied. We started building. We paid some money and yeah, eventually we we got the license. to, what the license gives you the right to do is the, the license gives you permission to to connect to the Nigerian Central Switch and do transactions.
0: Okay, so this was PayPal, right? Correct, Paypad. Okay, and this was twenty twelve. No.
1: So, Square launched in 2012. The whole process of creating the MPOS in Nigeria was, was, was a process on its own because we, we couldn't bring in a Square technology because in the US they swipe, meaning that they use the magnetic stripe of their card. But in Nigeria, we're already in Saturn, meaning that we use the chip on the card. So, we're doing chip and pin. And, um, and at that time, a lot of countries in the world were not doing chip and pin. So what that meant was that we couldn't really import technology, we needed to come up with something innovative to be able to make it work. So even though we started working on the project 2012, we were not able to launch till 2013, sometime in 2013. And in fact, we didn't even really good, maybe we had maybe one or two more chance in 2013, but then 2014 was when we had a bit of traction on it.
0: Okay, so with cash envoy, you weren't exactly profitable, right? So you had to pivot to PayPal. Correct. Correct. Okay. And then you started it it has started to make waste from 2014. Correct. Okay. Uh, curiously, um, in 2012 then it was still one staff you had, or you had started employing more people? In 2012, um,
1: one staff, one staff.
0: Okay. Well, so you were able to pay the salaries? Yes.
1: The okay. we we, we, didn't, we didn't we didn't get more than one till it was 2013 that we
0: started employing more people. Okay. Okay. So 2014 sales started to come in. Then what happened right. next? It was it was papered around that era. We had grown
1: to like seven, maybe seven or more employees, and um, it was basically because by then we had raised some money as well, so. We had a bit of cash. It wasn't really much, but it was a bit of cash to get by. And um, life started getting easier. But of course, it was still a struggle because you, have to, you, you need to build something that works. You know? So um, we, we, we came up with a model, which would, which would not have, which won't require us to spend a lot of money, but still be able to go to markets. And the idea was simple. We're going to partner with banks. Because if we wanted to partner directly with businesses, because the truth was we are providing a solution for businesses. <laughs> if we want to partner directly with businesses, you would realize that uh, you need to spend a lot of money because like you're trying to reach your consumers directly through marketing. So you you get to burn a lot of money in marketing. But we didn't have this kind of resources. So we went through the indirect route, which was we we'll partner with banks and then banks would deploy our solution to businesses. You know, and um, we had this model where, you know, because we're selling devices to the banks, we get paid up front, and then we make a little commission of transactions. So that was... Was easy to was get it. the banks on board? Well, we were lucky we had what you call first mover advantage. So it's not usually easy, but the first move advantage actually went a long way for us, and we, we the the partnership just kept coming from bank one to bank two to bank three you know so, so by
0: first mover advantage you were the first in the market yes from mobile point solution or so.
1: yes mobile point also
0: okay right. okay But so that's that's that made it easier for us to to take to take on the banks okay at this point were you then profitable
1: yes. So 2014
0: was probably the first time
1: we were profitable. Um, Maybe on paper anyway, but then, you know, the whole business was more difficult because when you work with banks, um, sometimes you you don't actually get paid when you're supposed to get paid. So what that means is that you've made a sale on your P&L, on your income statement, it looks like you're making a profit. But the truth is that you've not been paid, you know, so you now... Go through this period where your cash flow is a mess, you know, because at the same time you need to keep paying salaries, you need to keep paying all that stuff. But meanwhile, you know, your body, your money is tied with this this bank or that bank, and you know, so, so it was it was a big mess. And um, which is when they always study that you know, cash flow is the most important because when there's no cash flow, the company is dead. But thank god that I've I've been through a lot of errors that you know there was no cash flow and um, we, we didn't die. We just, we, we, we stuck in and um, and we figured it out, you know. So I remember one in particular we worked for like three months, no salary, you know. And um, those, those are the kind of things that, that, you know, when you are going through it, it's so difficult. Even for, as for me as an employer, I'm not happy, you know, because I'm at work, I'm seeing everybody at work and I'm like, I haven't paid these guys for the last two months, you know, and not that I do not want to pay them, but we don't have cash, you know, because we had sold to company A and company B and we have not been paid, you know? So those are just some of those realities that that people go through. And um, I think that that's what what helped during that period for me was mostly transparency, you know? So I was very open and I let my people understand that this is the reason why you have not been paid. This is where the money is. The money stock. However, we have assurance that the money is coming out on this date. So all we just need to do is manage to we can get to this date. You know. And then number two was, you know, um, was um, I, I I came up with this idea of office lunch, which so they will still do. And the idea is that you know if I can't at least give you money, put money in your pocket, or pay for your transportation, I should be able to at least feed you. You know, it was in the post period where there was no money at all, I squeezed that and started making sure that the company started providing money for every employee. You know. So it was a tough period, but I think we got through it and I became better for it because you know, I really got to understand that you know, you know, it was just a tough period, really.
0: <laughs>
1: when you say you became
0: better for it, what do you mean?
1: Um, so I think in terms of um, employee management. I learned that I learned the power of transparency. I also learned that, you know, paying your people is, it it should be basic. Like it's not, it's not a luxury. You know, sometimes I hear about companies that have not paid salaries for six months and for so long, you know, I I find it very difficult because, you know, how do you want to build loyalty and, and all that stuff if you don't take care of your people? So I kind of understood that, you know, welfare of your people is like basic. They should be like foremost on your mind to take care of your people, even if you have to borrow money to pay salaries, borrow money and pay it, you know, and and yeah, I I think I became better for it as a leader and, you know, since then I've actually never gone through that kind of phase before. I've gone through phases where there's no salary, don't get me wrong, but I will make sure that I pay it one way or the other.
0: In just a moment, Olaolua will be sharing how he had to shut PayPal down and pivot into what we know today as Peace Centre. Don't go anywhere. I'm Oshaya and you're listening to Origins Africa podcast. Hi, dear listener, if you love our show, please leave us a review on iTunes and Apple podcast. You can also send us a tweet or comment on Instagram at Origins AF. We love to read from you. Nope, not later. Yes, I read your mind. Do it now. Thanks a lot. Also click the subscribe button and share with a friend. Let's make a difference together, one origin story at a time. Hi guys, welcome back to Origins Africa podcast. I'm Oshaya. So between 2014 and 2015, Paypad was growing. However, Olaulua realized that it wasn't the business he wanted to be in.
1: At that stage, I knew that that business was not what I wanted to be in, um, which something else that people miss as well. So I, I realized then that the business that I was doing was not my strength. So let me, let me try and explain that. Number one, I didn't like the business because cash flow was a nightmare. Number two was that by default, I'm, I'm actually an introvert by default. And... Um, I'm happy to be an introvert anyway. But then, when you are doing a B2B business, that is, I'm selling to the bank, because so it's a B2B business. When you are doing a B2B business, it is not really for introverts. It is for people that like to build relationships, people that like to mix, people that want to do certain things that were not my own natural strength. And um, I think the only way that you can, you, you can know that, and I, this is also part of self-awareness, because I knew that I don't have the strength even though I could do it, you know, so I could go out there, build relationships with the bankers, schools, pitch and do all that. But I knew that it wasn't something that I was doing with joy. It was something that I was forcing myself to do, you know, because I have to do it for the business. It wasn't my strength. So I needed something that would, that would be more of my strength, you know? And I knew that it wasn't, it wasn't a B2B. B2B was, B2B business, especially in Nigeria, it's strictly based on relationship. It's not half of the time, it's not even about what you can do. Or what you can provide is more about what do you know, you know. So I I, I didn't want to play B 2 B. Um, I so I knew that yes, we, we already have what we are doing, you know. We already kind of understood this business. But number one, even though the business was there was a bit of there was there was profitability, the cash flow was a nightmare. I I also felt like the business had to be something that would be attuned to my natural strength which wasn't B2B you know introverts shouldn't do B2B it would be too difficult to sell except you are going to the only way you can, an introvert can do B2B is that you get some um, a partner that is an, ex, an extrovert and then you'll, you'll be fine because you know your own your own shortcomings the other guy can go and do those relationships and you guys will be fine for it so anyway that was more or less how um, we I, I went with PayPal up to 2016 <laughs> Sorry, I said with with MPPAD. Yes, up to 2016. You know, so it was really just the bank businesses we're doing. Partnering with the banks. Um, So we partner with the banks. We roll out for merchants. And we we get a bit of commission of the transactions.
0: Okay. Then in 2016,
1: there was another piece of... Yes, there was. This one was the major one because I... For, 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 number one, I decided to, I, I decided to, to let go of that business, the business I was running before, and, um, I start a new one. Those people, so, yes. So I Yes. When did let the go? What do you mean? I decided, I, I shut it down. I actually shut down my old business. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I decided to start again. But the only difference was that I wasn't starting from scratch anymore. I was starting from, you know, where more or less like where I stopped, you know. So, and, you know, what we what, what we decided to do, what we pivoted into is what people know to their space center, um, which currently is one of the top most agent banking platform in the country. I think maybe right now, maybe it's like a number three or there about, but I, I know that in the next few months, we would be number one. Um and when I say that's banking great is, is um a solution that provides access to financial services, you know. And and for me, you know, the, the way we went into this, it wasn't like it wasn't for us, it wasn't like Laulu sat down and came up with a beautiful idea. That wasn't it. It was the market that led us into it. Because what we were doing from PayPal was that we were giving terminals to merchants to use to receive payment in their shop. However, we realized that some of those merchants, especially the ones outside of Lagos, were doing something else entirely with our terminals. And what were they doing? They were providing cash because they are, we don't have enough banks in Nigeria. You know, so so the, the, the truth is, you travel outside of Lagos and you don't find banks. This is like common practice. If you are from any state in Nigeria that is not Lagos, anytime you travel to your own state, you'd have experienced this before. You travel to whatever state you're from, doesn't matter if it's Southwest or Southeast or South South or not, you won't find the banks, all the banks, because it is not you know, economically viable for the banks to be in a lot of places. Because number one, setting up a branch is expensive. You need to employ graduates, you need to get the right internet, you need to provide security, all that stuff. So what you find is that all the banks are represented in every state. And sometimes, even in the towns, but then they, they can't do more than one branch there. And that branch is going to be on the major road, which is like the bank road in that area, because all the banks, they like staying together. So that's because there's two Mopo's per branch, so they can share Mopo. However, what it means for a lot of people is that for them to do any form of banking service, they all need to travel to to, to to bank. And, you know, I also like saying that, you know, Lagos is the only place where you move from Ikeja to VI. And it's not like you're traveling. Every other state, when you move like that within local governments, you are traveling. If you are moving from Abakuta to Shagamu, you are traveling. If you are moving from Ubomo short to Ibadan, you are traveling. You know, so what it means is that a lot of people are cut off from financial services. So we 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 this gap, and we're like, what? You mean that there's the old town, you know, with this much population, and they don't have banks, you know? So we. We, we set out and we said, this is what we are going to do, henceforth. And we, 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 this was like, we, it wasn't about us coming up with a beautiful idea and creating a product. It was about us realizing a problem and creating a solution. It also was completely different. And immediately we started, we, we went to the market. The traction was instant, you know. And and since then, a lot of times when people tell me about their businesses, I'm always curious about what problem does this solve? Not, you know, what is it about? Because if, you, if I can understand the, 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 the impacts of the problem, then I can compare it to your solution. And if it does make sense, you know, you're onto something. Because when you have a business that is solving a problem, the impact is way, way, way higher. You know, so we, we had created something and you know, traction was... Almost instance, and we've been growing, you know, from day by day since then.
0: Yeah, true Because today, now I think you process about 2.5 million dollar transactions daily. I think I read
1: that. Um, yeah, but I would rather put it in naira. So today we do about three billion naira every okay. single day. You know, um, dollars are actually change. So in dollars, that would be so today we are on four fifty. So that would be yeah. So today we do over six million dollars. Every
0: day and mm. trash them. okay and we're green growing. Mm. okay, okay, was it easy to shut down was it an easy decision to make shutting down people because as you mentioned it, I'm still thinking about it
1: um well it, it wasn't it wasn't a difficult decision, mostly because you know there are a lot of reasons why companies shut down. This one was intentional, so it wasn't difficult. If it was that we have to shut down, then it would have been a difficult one. But it was because we wanted to start on a new plate. We wanted to start afresh. It, it, was, it, was, it was a decision that we made internally, and, and um, so, so it wasn't difficult.
0: OK, so what's the toughest decision you had to make?
1: Hmm. Toughest decision I've had to make. Uh, that's a tough one. I actually no not nothing actually comes to mind. But what what I do know is that nearly every day we make tough decisions. Like nearly every day, there's always this tough decision, that tough decision. You know, we, recently we, we we fired someone that just had a baby. You know, that that wasn't easy, you know, but we have to do it for the business, you know. So, like, every day, you know, you are, you are making this decision, cancelling this deal, starting this relationship,
0: you know, so... Did I ask why I, you had to fire her? It was him. You
1: know, okay, but, him. Uh, it was just, it was competence issues, you know. But, okay. So, so but, I was just trying to give an example of, um, every day you actually make tough decisions, maybe some tougher than the other, and uh, I, I can't really think of anyone that feels like, oh, this is the toughest I've had to do, but... Yeah, I think maybe if I think more maybe for the end of the call. If I remember something that was you know pretty difficult to make, but
0: okay, yeah,
1: okay. I, also, I think that as leaders as well, um, you always have to make decisions. That's, that's the job. If you don't make decisions, you would um, you 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 can't lead. You know, so you need to take back as much increase as you can, and then at the end of the day, your job is to then decide what you're going to do to move forward.
0: Okay, okay. So it took you about 10 years to, let's say, uh, start reaping the benefits of the hours and work you have put in between 2006 and 2016. Wow. Actually, I actually never thought about it that way, but you're yeah, very, very correct. Wow. Well, would many entrepreneurs still be that patient?
1: Oh, nowadays people are not so. No, 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 no. People are not. But then also, it depends on it depends on the vision, you know, and the passion on, on what you're working on. Um, entrepreneurs are different. Like I, 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 there are guys I used to mentor that they're working on the business and it's really tough. And next thing, boom, they relocated. You know, and when they relocate, they're not relocating to go into the business. They are going to go and get jobs. You know, there are even guys that were entrepreneurs there in Nigeria and boom. They've, got, they've relocated and they've gotten a job. A lot of people give up on their dreams. Let me just put it that way. People have dreams and then, you know, they give up. But I think that a key part of success is perseverance. And um, a lot of people don't have that. So, but, but, you know, once you do, once you can, if you have that, you know, it will help you go a long way, you know. And sometimes I listen to some entrepreneurs and even just from their stories, I know they are going to succeed and I, I won't mind investing in them not because they have a fantastic solution, but because I'm listening to all the sh- stuff you've gone through and I know that you're still figuring it out. I know that, you know, you you eventually get it. That's, that's the way it works most of the time.
0: I think also because judging from or learning from your story now, also being able to discern when you need to pivot that idea that you have as against sticking to the initial idea and trying to make it work, do you think that's also key?
1: Yes. Yes, that is key. So I think for me, the key thing about pivoting is you need to pivot to... Pivoting shouldn't be starting something new entirely. It should be something that all the years of experience that you've had, all the failure that you've had, that there are things that... You can still leverage on to build something new, you know. Because in, for everything that you do, there's always this, um, this um, what they call this now, this learning curve. Everything has the learning curve. You don't want to always be on a learning curve every time. Because if you're if you're pivoting to something next every time, it means that every time you always be on a learning curve. So you are going to make mistakes, right? So you pivot, you know. But what you're pivoting to is not something that you're starting a learning curve fresh. You've already made your mistakes. The only thing reason you're pivoting is because you now have a good understanding of what the market wants. So looking back now, what were some of your mistakes? Um, so generally for me, as a, as, a, as a rule, I don't dwell a lot on mistakes because I, I like thinking about it as, you know, these are things that I do, that I, I have to, they're things that I have to, to, to learn from, you know, so I have to go through this and learn from it. Um, so... Sometimes I think about, maybe I could have managed certain people better in terms of employees, you know? So those are part of, sometimes I think about certain employees and I'm like, ah, that guy had a potential in this, so, but, you know, it wasn't actually mentored right to be able to deliver a certain potential. So
0: there are some mistakes from that as well. Um, Aside yeah. people management, any of the mistakes you want to share?
1: Management, um, I, I think that maybe and one of the investment deals I've done in the past, maybe I could have negotiated it better back then. Sometimes I think about that as well, like, wow, I should have negotiated that deal better.
0: So I okay, No. you
1: know, <laughs> oh, like I, I felt like I, I agreed to a lower valuation at that time. You know, but um, all those things, they come with experience, you know, so... Yeah, I've gone through that. I can't make those kind of mistakes again. And um, yeah, so I, I I don't really dwell on mistakes that much. I just, I take it as the app on. Um, the ones I can
0: quickly correct, I correct and I move on. Okay. Uh, so within this 10-year period, when would you say you felt most alone? I would say maybe during the period where...
1: You know, th- things weren't working out. When things weren't working out, I would say that period between maybe like a 2009 when we launched to a 2000 and, um, 2011 maybe. Um, of course, I had my partner Shegun, but yeah, it was it was pretty much just two of us with me especially, me especially carrying
0: the bulk of it. So maybe that, that, that was the period. What helped you that period? How did? Where did you draw
1: strength from? I, I think it it is first of all just by the, the the strong belief that I have, the conviction that I have that you know I had to succeed. Um, I think that that conviction is. Um, is, is 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 a fantastic one. I believe that, you know, I, you know I, I'm really going to succeed. Part of what you, you said about having doubts, I, I don't I don't have those doubts, you know? So I just know that I am going to succeed. And I had this vision of what I was going to create and how I was going to work out and I could imagine and I could see it working out beautifully. You know, so I, I more or less just used my vision to get through that in terms of my personal vision of how this thing was going to end up to be successful at the end of the day.
0: Okay, okay. Um, what are your fears or insecurities today? Well, business-wise, it would be the major risks that we face, which
1: is, um, there are usually maybe just two of them. The first one is regulatory, you know, because sometimes regulators, they don't really, their job is not to really care about you, you know, so they can just come out tomorrow and set one or two laws or create a policy that just messes up you know, your business and your cash flow. Um, But the good thing is that because we already know that these fears are there, you're already looking for ways to mitigate against it. So regulatory issues are one. The second would most likely be um, just, you know, market threats, you know? And then um, I I would say three. So second one is market threats from, most likely maybe from a competition that currently doesn't exist maybe like a telco coming into the space aggressively with endless 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 cash, you know, things like that. I think that you look about, you think about that. It's like having a shop that is doing well and all of a sudden Walmart moves to the next streets from your shop. You know, your business is in trouble. You know, so um threats from competition is there. And I I think that the biggest one is probably maybe like the fear of, of the unknown in terms of innovation, because we're in technology, you know, certain things come out and they can just take you out of business, just like that. You know, so you, you need to, and I, I think the solution to that is just really being paranoid. So take for instance, let's imagine that I we, we, were in, we were in Brazil and we had a mobile app solution for financial services. And all of a sudden, you know, Facebook just launched payments on WhatsApp in Brazil. I, 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 the impacts that would have on your business will be very, 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 very thick depending on the amount of loyalties that you've been able to build in your solution anyway. But, you know, those are fears that you need to really think about because technology is really moving very fast and some things can just happen and today you are relevant, tomorrow you are not relevant. So that fear of the unknown is always there. But I think what I, what I do is um, there's this concept of you know only the paranoid survive. You have to be paranoid, not paranoid in a negative way, but just always looking over your shoulder, always understanding what is coming, what the condition is bringing, and you know be able to process all the information and try to to build something against it and make sure that you know you have what they call what what, what people call emotes. You know, like you have a defensible
0: position. So looking back now, if you were to start again what what would you do differently
1: um
0: <laughs> i think um
1: maybe right now the easiest way to build a startup right now right now and get funding is to actually finish from an ivy league or even not finish just drop out from an ivy league school so what would i have done differently maybe the only thing i would have done differently you know, but the thing is, life is tricky that way. Maybe if I had done that, maybe I would have gone in different parts, but you you never know. We would have been trying to get into an Ivy League school. I mean, like, rather than going to OAU, you know, maybe like uh, one, any of those schools. Once you finish from any of those schools, fundraising is always like, just like the snap of your fingers. People are willing to give you money because of, you know, you went to certain schools, I finished from certain schools, you know. So I, I think maybe that would have really helped in the process of, um, I would not have suffered as much, but then at the same time, if I had done that, maybe I would not have actually gone the path that I went, or maybe my path may have been derailed, you know? So, so you never know. So I think that, you know, but my, my, my life has been intentional. Um, and I have this strong conviction that God has a plan for me. And, um, I tend to just do my part, you know. So one 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 part of the prayers I used to pray, and I think I still pray every now and then, is you know I have to live a life where my life can touch billions of lives, you know. And if if, if as long as I, I I feel like I'm doing that, I, I think like I'm doing the right thing. And so so take for instance, you know. Um, a lot of people are praying, right? Nigeria is a very religious country. People pray a lot. But God never throws money from the sky. Or, or you know, it, it doesn't happen that way. There are going to be certain people that are going to be used to bless other people. And every time I pray that I want to be that medium, that, you know, God is using to touch all these other lives. So, and I think that I'm on course. I, the, the, the company that I currently run, we provide a means of livelihood to over 20,000 people currently. You know, so I, I feel like, that is impact. I, I love what I'm doing because I'm creating ways for people to earn a living, you know. So it's something that I enjoy doing, it's something that I want to keep doing. So I, I really don't dwell on regrets. And maybe I would just have done the same things I've done, but I
0: would just have wished that maybe it was a bit easier. Okay, okay. Um, so what has been like your most inspiring moment on this journey?
1: Ah... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's a tough one most inspiring moment alright so I, I think that I, I do not also have one inspiring moment I think that for me personally I get eye on success, I get eye on results and I, I always go and look for them, I look out for them you know, there are times when things just feel a bit tough you know they're going through this they're trying to solve this why are trying to start this something else is sitting at the door once I go through all those periods what I'm just looking for is and I, I even tell my team every time sometimes I say I just need a win I need a win I need something to come through and someone says oh you guys just did this or maybe CBN just approved something for you or you know I, I, I'm always looking for one win or the other because I live off those wins you know I, I live off success you know so sometimes I intentionally go out and say I, I, I need a win you know from anywhere and um, we we celebrate the tiny victories. It's always very important to mark it and say, "Hey, we just signed up twenty thousand agents. We are going to celebrate it, so that you know we, we just mark it that way while we plan for the next one." So we we celebrate a lot of minor minor victories. So and, and and I'll keep doing that because I think that you know those things inspire me to do more. Okay, what did you have to learn the hard way? I think that part of the biggest things or the hardest things to learn is um, fundraising. Um, some people have it, I don't know, some people feel like they're gifted, you know, they just know how to talk to the investor and the money comes, you know, but for someone like me, I, I think that I had to learn it the other way. Um, fundraising income naturally, it, it was so much hard work, you know, so much hard work. I, you know, I had to get out of my comfort zone, make it intentional that, you know, I need to spend more time trying to lobby investors, trying to investors, trying to win. Um, so I think those are one of the of things that i struggled with. But pretty much I have a decent time of it at the moment.
0: Okay. What do you wish you had known or you had had when you were starting out?
1: <laughs> I think something that would have been scary to know was how hard it was going to be. I think that would have been scary. Carrie. And then sometimes, <laughs> okay. sometimes you get inspired by other people's story. Um, there's a book I read, um, The Acting About Athens, is by um that guy know. The, the Acting About Athens. Um, anyway, the key message for it's an American book, and you know, the guy eventually sold his business for 16 billion dollars. But the issue was the guy went through so much to build that company. And when I read that story, I was inspired because you know I felt like if someone is going through this much suffering in the US, you know, if in the US and is struggling to raise money in the US, you know, then it's fine if i to raise money in Nigeria, because Nigeria is like way, way, way worse. You know, so I just felt like, you know, so sometimes you need to get all those kind of minor minor doses of inspiration to be able to help you help you grow. But um something directly that I wish that I know now that I wish I knew then was, um, uh, um, now nah. I, I think I more or less learn every day and um, I, I just take it as part of the journey. Okay. Okay.
0: Yeah, the question that I wanted to ask then was, I think I read somewhere that you also have the fear of, um, what if you were wrong? <laughs>
1: oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yes, but of course, so, so that fear is there. But then, did you talk I think about that, it? What, what, what do you mean? I, I think that, you know, every day since then, I have more, more or less outgrown that fear. And I, I have still, you know, w- when I actually made that statement, I was, was actually dependent on the, the point where my business was at, you know, because I had promised my employees that this was where we were going to be. I had promised investors this was where we were going to be. I'd, I'd, I'd put a lot on the line. In that, you know, and over time, I've been able to prove that, you know, I am not wrong. You know, this is going to work out. So, more or less, I've I've outgrown that fear. And um, if there was a new fear now, it was probably like the fear of the unknown, the fear of what is coming but I can't see because the things I can see, I'm more or less prepared for them. So right now, my biggest fear is the fear of the unknown.
0: Okay. Okay, that's great. And now you're living your dream, I think. So what would you say? All right, so let me call like
1: that. Not yet. So so the concept of success is, is, is very relative. What that means is that what you consider success may be different from what I consider success, which is different from what the next person considers success. And also, and everybody's striving for success, but from where I stand, I'm still, I'm on the right path, but I'm not yet there. So I'm not yet living the dream. I'm just, I'm just trying, I'm I'm working out
0: more or less. Okay. Okay. But where you are at at the moment, um, what would you say are the not so good sides or the aspects you don't like about it?
1: Well, to be honest, there are a lot of challenges at where I am, but then you tend to understand that that is, that is the job that you choose, you know? You, you, and for, for me can it can it really be it's easier um, I, I would just say that you know a while back I, I read a book that had a concept of um, of um, war time and peacetime CEOs and the book was trying to explain that for every business there are certain times that you know what you need is the peacetime CEO which, which, which is mainly the guy that helps the business get to the next level but then there are some special cases where you have wartime CEOs, where, you know, there's a the time of crisis, a time of things are not working out, you know, and and um, there's a particular type of skill that is required to get through that period as well. And sometimes when I when I think about that concept, I think that, you know, all my life I've been a wartime CEO. There's never really been a time of peace. It's always from one battle to the next battle to the next battle, even till now, you know. So, it would have been nice, you know, occasionally to be like a peacetime CEO. But yeah, we take we, we take what we get and make the best out of it. Mm. Okay. Okay.
0: What daily habits or practices do you observe today that have been helpful in your journey? I, I think the biggest one is reading.
1: Yeah, a lot of people say, you know, readers are leaders, but the truth is that as a leader, honestly, you need to read. Because when you read, it kind of opens your mind and it expands your mind. And it also gives you the opportunity to learn from what other people have learned without having to seriously, life is short. You actually can have every experience by yourself or by people you know. You know, but reading allows you to tap into the knowledge of others and the experiences of others. And then you can put all that together and help you make better decisions, help you plan ahead. You know, so I think that if I was not a reader, I would not be the person I am today. I think that, um, yeah, more than anything, I, I think that reading has been very, 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 very important in my life. There is, right now, there's no time in my life that I'm not reading a book, you know. Immediately I finish the book I'm reading, I'm going to pick on now. If I'm busy, I may not open that book for two weeks. But there's a book that I in my bag that I'm reading at every point in time. So yes, reading has been very crucial to me and in, in terms of my book? development as well. What book are you reading now? Um, it's called the, at the moment, it's called the um, black box thinking, you know, and it's about learning from mistakes, you know, so the black box is, the concept is from the aeroplane, you know, so when the plane crashes, how all that, how all the errors are analysed and then used to improve the airline industry more or less, so black box thinking and, you know, it's about, you need to start thinking even as a business to see when certain things go wrong, we need to be able to understand thoroughly what went wrong and then put processes in place to make sure that you know those things don't go wrong anymore what's the best advice you've gotten Um, I think one of the best ones maybe not the best but one of the best ones is um, the fact that being an entrepreneur is hard when I wanted to start out when I when I I, after my path for IT I went to see the um, when I wanted, to, I think when I wanted to start cashing, where I went to see the CEO of where I did my IT, you know. So I went to see him and I said, you know, I have my business plan, I have all this, and um, I want to start my own business. And he told me, Olá, this stuff is hard, you know. Don't just think that, you know, because you know it just feels nice to say, oh, I'm going to be a boss, I'm going to start a company. Like it sounds easy, but it's hard, you know. And um, I I think I like the advice and people need to understand that it is hard, you know, it's not easy at all. So I think that once you understand that it is hard, you you, you already have that mindset that you're entering the battlefield, you know, so you're better prepared than when you think that, oh, you're just going to be fly and then it doesn't work out. Okay. What's the biggest challenge with your role now? The biggest challenge of my role now would be making sure that everybody understands the vision. You know, so the thing is, like I said, every day you grow, you develop. When you run a company that has 20 employees, most of the time, you guys, you would know the name of, of course, you know everybody's name. You know the name of everybody's child. You will know the dates of their child's birthday. You guys are most likely on the same page every time trying working in tune, trying to build something great together because it's a small thing. You guys are on the same brief length. You know, you're so in tune. But then immediately you start growing and you start getting to 30, 40, you lose that connection. You start having people that work for you that you don't even know their name. Like you don't know their name, you know, but they work you guys work in the same company. Maybe you've heard their name before, but you know, you don't you have no idea when their are birthday is you have, you know, and then when that happens, they start you start having disconnect and people not everybody is sold on your vision anymore, you know? So that, that is probably maybe my biggest challenge now, but of course I'm always working to fix, which is really the solution to that is, you know, building leaders and making sure that you have leaders at every step of the way that can be in sync with your own vision for the company so that that vision can somehow get to spread through. But I think that, you know, that that is the biggest challenge in, in, is in growing a big company and making sure that everybody, no matter what job role they have, no matter how far are, the, the chain of command is, that they understand the vision. I think that that would be my biggest challenge at the moment. Interesting.
0: And the last one here, what would you say was one of your big failures?
1: I would say... Um, starting Cash Way before it's time. Um, you know, in everything in life, there is there is like time and chance for everything. And um, there is actually a concept of being ahead of your time. Honestly, you don't want to be ahead of your time. You are not going to make any money. You don't want to be too early. At the same time, just the same way, you don't want to be too late. You have to come at the right time. I think that Way was the product that came way, way, way ahead of its time. You know, E-commerce in Nigeria didn't start scaling until Jumia and Conga came into the markets. And that was what, 2012, 20, 20, around that era, 2012, 2013. You know, but Cash and we had come so many years before that. And um, you know, it, it wasn't if we had started Cash and wear at the right time, we would have been able to to fight better in that space than when we did. So I would say maybe that was one of the things that we didn't get right. But how to you end know at the right time? see that's, that's life right <laughs> that's life you the, the market decides honestly the market decides so you need to be able to be bold enough to try and push your product in the market and you need to be able to listen effectively to the market and then you will know if you are at the right time or not okay what's your best productivity tool um I would say Microsoft Teams okay if you were a type of
0: food, what would you be?
1: <laughs> uh, uh, i didn't think about that. <laughs> I've never actually thought about that
0: before.
1: <laughs> if I was a type of food, um, I would be something nice to
0: eat. Maybe like a shama. <laughs> okay. What's one food you wish didn't exist?
1: One food I wish didn't exist.
0: Maybe maybe olives. Mm. Okay. So what's something you're curious about today? What are you researching about the most? Building a world-class customer kitchen. Okay, okay. If you were in my shoes, what would you ask yourself that I haven't already? <laughs> I think you've actually done a pretty good job.
1: Uh, <laughs> you've done a very good job, honestly.
0: So there's no question, or there's nothing you'd wanna see that maybe I didn't ask.
1: No, nah, no, nah, you've done very well. Okay, okay. What's your advice to the listeners? All right, so I would say, you know, find the right vision. You didn't have to be an entrepreneur. Just find the right vision for your life, you know. Um, so the, the vision for your life, it doesn't have to be you being an entrepreneur. It can be you even being an employee. But just find the right vision for your life. in a vision that you yourself can buy into and you can always work towards. So I, I like to say that, you know, I have this vision of what my life should be. And wherever... I am. So whatever spot you are, you need to be able to, even if it's not going to be possible, even if it's not realistic, but you need to be able to connect the dots from where you are to where the vision that you want to achieve is. If where you are, you cannot see any connection to where the vision is, then, you know, you're in the wrong place. So you need to change your location. But the, the idea is, where, whatever point you find yourself in life, you need to be able to connect it to the vision that you have of yourself, you know. So you, you need to create the vision, a vision that you believe in. It doesn't have to be realistic. What I mean is it doesn't have to be believable to everybody, but it has to be believable to you. And it has to be strong enough that you know you can buy into it and you can even convince others to buy into it. And then find a, find your find your way there. Make sure that you're on the right
0: path to get there. Okay. Looking back now, wanting to be the richest man in the world, how would you say you're doing today?
1: Well, I, I would say that um, the biggest problem I have is that I am in Nigeria. Um, but, you know, despite that, we'll figure out a way to make you work. Because being in Nigeria means that, number one, you don't have the best markets. So what I mean by the best market is what you have is like a Nigerian stock exchange. Um, you, you don't want to list like the capitalization in that market is not really fantastic in that sense, you know, compared to maybe the London, the Hong Kong or the New York, you know? So that's, you know, the first issue with Nigeria. The second issue is the currency devaluation, you know, so you're making Naira and making Naira, but the truth is that every now and then you're actually getting poorer, no matter how much Naira you're making, because by the time you compare it, you know, the US dollar value to the Naira you're making, you realize that you're actually way poorer this year than you were last year you know, on that international level. So, um, being the richest man in the world and being in Nigerian doing business in Nigeria is, is, is not, is not an advantage at all, you know? So those are part of the challenges that we have, but, then um, what can we do? We're going to make the best of the situation we are in. Okay. It's also where expansion comes in. Definitely. You know, so expansion comes in also the, the plan is that at some points you need to look for how to port your business you know to, to, to a foreign based business um, where you can have access to bigger markets you know because at the end of the day being the richest man in the world is down to what people think that the value of your business is what you know so Jeff Bezos being the richest man in the world is because the shares of his company keep going up. And that is because of what the people think that his business is worth. You know, so you have to be able to be in the right market where certain things would be able to impact you, you know, in that sense. So yeah, but you know, even the, the point is that the truth is that even if I don't make it, it doesn't matter because I would work so hard to make it that wherever I find myself,
0: we are pretty different. Hey, okay. that's good, that's good. How's COVID-19 impacting your business? Um, no
1: complaints, no complaints. Um, so we are one of those businesses that you call a needed service. What that means is that, you know, people are always going to transact. Because what we do is we, we, are, we are a medium for transacting. And as long as there's a pandemic or not, people are going to transact. And as long as people are transacting,
0: we are still in business. So no complaints so, at all. So the lockdown didn't affect you guys, your agents not needing to go, and go out and stuff like that? Of course, there
1: were some challenges with agents being able to access cash. But yeah, it was expected. We we,
0: we, we still did very well during our period, so no complaints. Okay, that's great. Uh, who would you like me to interview next? So off the top of my head, I can actually introduce
1: you to my brother. We are from an entrepreneurial family, you know. So we have... Um, um, two boys doing um, a lot of a lot of things. I'm in the tech space. He, he's in the agri space. I mean, his name is Larry Awojodu. Okay, yeah, exportation
0: of commodities, and he has a good story as well. That's Olawolu Awujodu. He's the co-founder and CEO of eSettlement Settlement Limited. Thank you for listening to our show this week. If you liked it, do leave us a review a comment and share with your friends. Tell a friend, to tell a friend, to tell a friend and to tell another friend. We would also love to read from you. So please do send us a tweet or leave a comment on Instagram at OriginsAF. You can also write to us at OriginsAfricaPodcast at gmail.com. Remember, do subscribe at wherever you get your podcast, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, Spotify, YouTube, SoundCloud, amongst others. Join us next time as we have a chat with Ore Rishiwe, the founder and CEO of Arami Essentials. Our sound producer this week was Tumisha Jani, and the theme song was composed by Just Ritimi. I'm Oshaya, and you've been listening to Origins Africa podcast. Bye for now. My father told
1: me life is not a bit